Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of the Faith to Go podcast, your one-stop shop for everything you need to have faith discussions throughout your week with your friends and with your family. My name is David Tremaine, and I'm the Minister of Formation at Good Samaritan Episcopal Church in San Diego. And I'm Charlotte Pressler, and I'm the Youth Missioner for the Episcopal Diocese of San Diego. And I'm Hannah Wilder. I'm a curate at St. Mark's City Heights in San Diego. And Hannah was doing jazz hands the whole time. (laughs) (laughs) See, I'm telling you, David, that if we have, like, the narration of what we're physically doing, then it adds another level to the podcast. Yeah. It's, it's, it's also a contrast today because Hannah is doing a lot of things with her hands and Charlotte probably is, but we can't see it because her video's off. So we're just, <laughs> I'm just guessing that Charlotte, you're doing jazz hands right now as well. Is that correct? For sure. Okay. For sure. Uh, welcome back everybody to this uh, week. We'll, we'll, this podcast will come out during Advent 1, but we're talking about obviously the gospel for Advent 2. So happy week leading up to Advent 2. Like every week, I want to make sure you all know that we want to hear from you how your Advent is going. Uh, you can email us, faith2go at edsd.org. You can contact us through our website, www.myfaith2go.org. Or you can contact or follow us on Instagram, at uh, faith2go. We'd welcome any and all of those uh, ways of contacting us. We'd love to hear your stories, your questions, your thoughts, your comments. What are you? Are you actually waiting for something, perchance, in your life? We'd love to hear about that. What's that kind of expectation like for you? What's Where's the hope in that? Um, but we're going to jump into the gospel. Uh, the gospel for this week is Mark 1, 1 through 8. Charlotte is going to read it. And then uh, she and Hannah and I are going to take some time to highlight one point each from that gospel. The beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in the prophet Isaiah, see... I am sending my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And people from the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him and were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair, with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. He proclaimed, the one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. All right. Back to the beginning. We're doing a bit of a Tarantino kind of thing here in Advent with Mark's Gospel. We started at the end last week in chapter 13, and now we're going back to the beginning for Advent 2. This is the very first chapter, very first verses of Mark, uh, which is interesting also in Advent to think about because we're also going to be hearing the first chapters and verses of Matthew and Luke which have infancy narratives, and what you notice very clearly not being present here is anything about Mary or Joseph or a baby being born or a manger or angels and things like that. So Mark, usually we think about Mark as being the first gospel written and most likely a a source, a piece of source material for Matthew and Luke. And it's just interesting to think that either Mark didn't care about the infancy narratives of Jesus or didn't know about them 
uh, or just wasn't clearly wasn't emphasizing them as part of the Jesus tradition. So, you know, it's just kind of a question to ask ourselves in this season where we rely so heavily and so much of the tradition of, of Advent is is based on those first few chapters of Matthew and Luke. We're here with Mark and there's nothing there. You know, this is it. Right. Everything begins. What's the, the important beginning to Mark is the beginning of Jesus's adult ministry, the, yeah. the baptism of John and then Jesus calling disciples and going out and doing his thing. Not so much Jesus's origin story. So just mm -hmm. something for us to keep in mind as we move through this season, as we conceptualize about Jesus, the baby Jesus, the the you know, the importance of origin stories culturally. This is this is to mark Jesus's origin story. Jesus's origin story is his baptism. And what does that mean yeah. for us, especially in a sacramental uh, tradition like the Episcopal Church? So uh, that's where we are right at the beginning of Mark. Mark's gospel has this kind of immediacy to it. And we are going to get to Hannah, who has the first point. And actually, you know, welcome back, Hannah Wilder. Wow, thank you very number much. Two. Week thank number two. you. In a uh, row, I just want to point out Mary Lynn and Kathy in right. a row. Right. You are just you're really <laughs> racking up appearances here. Um, thank you. Thank you for being back, Hannah. And the point is yours. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm thinking about these opening words, you know, the beginning, which of course harkens back to Genesis, right? And that's an intentional move by the author. It's um, reminding the hearers, the audience of the day, that this is the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So there's something important happening here. And that word, the good news in Greek is euangelion, which meant good tidings or good news. And it was a proclamation that was made that would have an impact on your status as a human being. So usually if the Roman army conquered someone, there would be these good tidings, this euangelion and a, you know, a big proclamation with trumpets and people shouting, you know, and like the Romans have conquered the so-and-so people. And then that has an impact on your life. So in the same way, this good news that we're reading about Jesus or hearing about Jesus is going to change our lives forever. Mm -hmm. yeah. And with that, I think a lot as I read about John the Baptist proclaiming the baptism of repentance you know, when I first read that, I think all these negative connotations, there was a movie, I think, in the 90s called Repentance. And, you know, I had these visions of like apocalypse in a bad way. And um, I just want to put out there that there's like a deeper meaning to repentance and repentance doesn't have to feel negative. Repent actually means to turn around, to stop in your tracks, to turn around, to do something different. And you know, it's usually like you're going through your life and then something stops you, like something's not working. You have a conversation with someone, you have a realization, you, you, maybe you go to the doctor, you learn some health news, something stops you. And then you turn and you turn from unhealth to health, from lack of awareness to awareness. Maybe you turn from addiction to freedom or from a lack of peace to peace, like as you make changes, this turn that happens is a good thing. Yeah. So I just, yeah, I just encourage us all this week to think about the deeper meaning of repentance. Mm -hmm. Yeah. One of the things I always think about when I think of repentance and that opportunity to turn around 
is that it's not a one-time offering, right? Like it is not, you know, I'm going to save your mortal soul and then you've been saved. And from then on, you walk that straight, perfect path and you never make another mistake. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) (laughs) We are human beings and we are messy and we have this opportunity to turn around multiple times a day, multiple times a week, whatever that looks like, anytime we're in error. And I think that some of the power in that is that opportunity to say we're sorry, um, whether that's allowed to a person that you have affected with whatever path is astray for you, or to ourselves, because a lot of times it's self-harm that is part of, that needs this repentance aspect, the way we talk about ourselves or when we're living unhealthily to say, hey, sorry, Charlotte, um, we're going to do better. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I want you to feel better. I'm going to do better. I think of um, metanoia, the, the word for repent. It's like those, those two parts are like after mind. It's like a compound word. And it's like, even like literally could be like to turn turn return is is a way of translating it and like a change of mind noia is mind so it's like a to think about it like a change of mind is to think about it as like this lifelong process that our minds are always changing and and it is it is also kind of the way that we talk about it even just now it's like you have where does where does this like change in behavior begin? Well, it, cha- it begins with a change in how we perceive things. You know, something something happens in our lives, and our perspective on life is shifted, and that leads to some sort of behavioral change. Um, and so, but but also that that like that there is something kind of uncontrollable about that. Like we don't we can we can like we can take on practices and do things and make kind of an intentional effort to like transform how we see the world to be changed. But that's the very thing is like it, we are changed. You know, we don't make ourselves change as much as we, Mm -hmm. we can like do the practices to do that, but it's actually something that's cultivated in us. And I think it's cool that one of those practices (laughs) highlighted here is confession that like to confess is a way of taking part in this, transformation this lifelong work of change that to be honest about what we're doing is a way of opening ourselves up to a new way of doing things um and that could that could take place on a whole lot of different levels individual and and societal and systemic um but that's not the only way of doing it but i think it's like it's really cool that that's like a the way that john is asking people to begin this lifelong journey of metanoia of changing your mind. It's like you come here, you confess what you've done, you know, not because you're evil, not because you're bad, not because you need to be punished, but because that will begin this journey of liberation. Like you will be set free when you can name what you have done to cause suffering for yourselves and for other people. And it's like a process, you know, and it, it makes me like you, you named addiction as one of those things. It's like, the, the the movement from addiction to I think you said freedom is yeah. not one that you just do today and then you're done. It's like the the phrase is like progress, not perfection. This is a lifelong process of making progress towards greater health and and depth and authenticity and relationship that doesn't just happen because you decide it's gonna happen. But 
but the change in behavior changes slowly as your mind changes as you think of different ways of doing things and so i think it's i think it's really cool to like see this as the beginning of a process not john thinking oh well now you've all been baptized you're all good go go be awesome you know it's like no i mean you're probably gonna have to confess again tomorrow and that's okay but that that's this ongoing thing that everyone is invited to all the time and that it's part of the process and that nothing is wrong. Yeah. That confessing is a part of, mm-hmm. you know, the Christian life and who mm-hmm. we are. And as we're being formed and shaped as Christians, that's just one of the practices that we engage in. Mm-hmm. And it cultivates that sense of like gentleness and compassion with ourselves, you know, and that and thus creating that space for other people in relationship. And when that's happening, then we're all kind of in this upward spiral of helping one another to thrive and creating space for one another. That is the kingdom of heaven. You know, it's not just like my kingdom. It's our kingdom all together. And if we're not all in it, then none of us are in it. Amen. Yeah, we're all connected. Yeah. And I think that that gets to my point because I'm interested in this Isaiah reading and um, and thinking about like it's in in the in the lectionary today. uh, If you or not today, but in the lectionary for this upcoming Sunday for Advent too. if you go to church. You'll not only hear this gospel, but you will hear the the chapter from Isaiah chapter 40 where this quote is taken from uh, that Mark uses to kick off the gospel. And Isaiah is used so much, and it's used so much because there's so much imagery of... Isaiah is so much about the communal relationship of the Jewish people with God and with one another, about calling people back to, pra- to right practice, to right relationship with one another and to God to like being honest and confessing the things that have gone wrong and wanting things to change. It also is interesting because it's like, it's most likely not just doesn't, it most likely wasn't just written by one guy named Isaiah uh, in, you know, a solid year of writing and then published. It was like most likely a composite work put together by a number of different writers, at least three writers uh, over the course of some hundreds of years, part of it being pre-exilic, so like uh, before the exile from Jerusalem, where the where the Babylonian Empire conquered Jerusalem and made every all of the Jewish people leave and go to Babylon. Part of it during the exile, so like being written while people are in Babylon, and then part of it post-exilic, where they're trying to like now rebuild their lives. They've been allowed to come back by the Babylonian Empire to Jerusalem, to a Jerusalem that has been utterly decimated and destroyed, and then try to figure out what they're going to do now. And in the end, they rebuild the temple. So the temple that Jesus talks about uh, going to in Jerusalem is the second temple uh, that's been built in the same place in Jerusalem, again, after the Babylonians destroyed it. So it's interesting to think. So Isaiah 40 is is potentially written during the exile. So think about it. You are, you're a group, you're part of a group of people, a community who has been violently conquered and removed from your home and taken to a place uh, that you don't want to be against your will. And you're in this place trying to figure out what it means now to be a community and a community that follows God especially when so much of your communal practice has been centered around a physical place, which is the temple in Jerusalem. 
What does it mean to be in Babylon to worship God with no temple? And so this is a time of like, just like think about this moment now for us where we can't do so many of the, th- I'm not saying that, that this moment is as violent and terrible as, you know, the people being exiled from Jerusalem to Babylon. But we're in a moment of, of this kind of feeling of being totally unsettled, like removed from the practices, so much of especially the communal practices that make us who we are. And that doesn't just need to be in like a Christian or religious context, but just think about like, right, like we're recording this the day before Thanksgiving. How many of us are not taking on participating in those like family practices that we would usually be able to take part in at this moment of the year. How many of those practices for this season of Advent in our churches are we not able to do? We can't gather in our temples essentially, you know? Um, And there is kind of, there is a, there's is an exilic kind of feeling in this moment. I think for a lot of us, for a lot of people, there's also the reality that like we're, we're, Isaiah is is talking is speaking from the position of a oppressed group of people, a group of people that has been dominated by a dominant empire, a power, which is similar to what Jesus and Jesus's Jewish people and Jewish community find themselves in with Rome. So, like to make it's interesting to think about like what it would mean to this group of people in the exile in Babylon. To, for their hope to be that one will cry out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. The mountains will be made low and the valleys will be made high. And thinking just physically about how many valleys and mountains stand stood between Babylon and Jerusalem. And so it's like it really is so much like there is this feeling of it being like, Please, God, not only not only help us to get out of here, but be with us on our journey from this place where we are back to home, back to something that feels normal, mm-hmm. back to where we long to be together and help us in the rebuilding process of that thing. Mm-hmm. And so it's like as we sit here and we as we as we stand here in this moment where we are looking where we are feeling kind of desolate for so many things there's this pandemic there is the feeling of disconnection there's the feeling of being unsettled of being removed from our practices there's also the reality of so much injustice that can feel so hopeless it's so 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 often feels like such a big thing imagine how big a thing it felt like to be this small group of people in this giant empire so far from home looking at the mountains on the horizon saying, how could I possibly scale that thing? And that the hope is that God will be with us, not just in the journey back, but God will prepare the way that there's some preparation happening between where we are now and the goal and our home and the place we yearn to be. And they do it with God. Yeah. You know, David, I was listening to you talk and, I don't think it diminishes what the people experienced so very, very long ago to name the similarity to what we're experiencing now, because it, it does feel like exile. It does feel like separation from each other. It does feel painful and hard and overwhelming. It feels all of those things. And 
for me as I listen to you talk about it. It's a gift to know, to hear the words, you know, that we don't walk alone, mm-hmm. that, that we, aren't, we aren't walking on that journey alone. We walk with each other and we walk with God as we walk. And, and that provides comfort. And I think that that's exactly what these words were intended to provide was comfort, right? That, mm-hmm. you know, may yeah. the past may, may it be made straight, may the hills be brought down, like all of those words that you just named and that we just heard um, were designed to bring comfort. Mm-hmm. And we could all use a little comfort, <laughs> all of us. Mm-hmm. And, you know, David, I think that if we transition to my point, one of the things I love most about this conversation today is that technically you and I are talking about the same, the same part of the scripture, right? Um, but we took from it different things. And for me, what I took from it today was right in this same section, which is, see, I am sending my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. And the idea that the way is prepared for us is a gift. I mean, it. I've had the opportunity the last couple of weeks to go hiking four or five times. Hiking is absolutely my favorite thing to do. If I could do one thing the rest of my life, it would be that. Um, that with the dirt underneath my trail, with underneath my feet, with my boots on my feet, with my pack on my back, um, that that is where I experience my greatest peace, which is the theme we're living into this week in the second week of Advent. But when I read this scripture, I think maybe because I've spent so much time on the trail, that the trail is what I saw. Because trails weren't always there. It It's not as though they were pre-established that God just was, you know, smote them in the mountain. And there, there's your path and, and you walk it, right? Trails are from other people walking in front of us. The first trails were either from goats or animals traveling them. And then humans chose to take those same paths because there was already like a worn place to step your foot. And then the track, the path became wider. And then when we walked it, we made it wider. And then at some point in time, some really smart person thought, you know what, we should actually make this an official trail and cut the bushes a little bit on each side so we're not damaging the the plants that live in the area and encourage people to use this path when they are traveling. We are preparing the way for the people that would come after us. And when I read this scripture and I think of that message, I think about the people, the prophets and the messengers that help prepare us for scripture, for Christ, for traveling with God. Um, But I also think about the people that are preparing the way each day now. Um, The people that not just walk with us, like David was talking about, but the people who have walked ahead of us. The people who are saying, this is the way. Look, we've now had two Star Wars references and a Harry Potter reference in this podcast. This is the way from Mm -hmm. the Mandalorian. But the people that are preparing the way for us that maybe we haven't even seen them. Maybe the the path that we are walking that we are that we know we where we are supposed to put our foot is because of generations before us who have done the work of justice and peace, mm-hmm. who have done the work of sharing their faith with others. Maybe our ability to walk this path is because of those people who have prepared the way for us. 
And I do think that that's one part of it. But I also think that there are two other things that really resonate for me in that. One, we need to stay on the path. <laughs> Right? Like it, the, the wildlife is not protected. The vegetation is not kept safe when we decide to go wandering off to look at a cool tree. And, and we can absolutely say that we do those same things in our faith journey, in our justice journey, in our peace journey, in all of the journeys that we're on. We get distracted by shiny objects and cool trees and we wander off the path. And we don't protect those around us when we do that. And so again, it harkens back to Hannah's piece with repentance and our opportunity to turn back, to get back on the path and continue walking with Christ and with each other. And then the other thing is that we need to realize that we are preparing the way also. That when we choose to put our feet on that path that has been prepared for us, that we continue the path for others to follow behind us. And maybe we don't even know who they are. Maybe it's someone that you interact with every day that you don't realize has wandered off the path or who is stumbling or who feels disconnected. But in watching us with steady feet choose the path ahead that we are preparing the way for them. We are helping them to regain their footing and to be able to walk more closely. So in the same way that we are offered the gift that someone has prepared the way for us, we also have to know that we are preparing. We are preparing the way for each other. Mm -hmm. um, okay, so that is our three points. Uh, no, point number one was Hannah's, and it was about repentance and kind of the goodness and power of repentance, not being you know a, a thing be, that you do because you need to be punished or that you've done something wrong necessarily, but that we're all called to this kind of change, this kind of turning uh, this change of mind uh, and this lifelong journey of repenting uh, over and over again and seeing what God cultivates in us. Mine was the second point, and it was about um, the mountains being made low and the valleys being made high, that kind of thinking through the lens of the exile of the Hebrew people and exile of you know how we are called uh, to hope in in God and what that hope looks like, you know that that God will, prepare the way that we walk with God uh, in our journey back um, to the place that we desire to go, knowing that there will be work to do when we get there and along the way. And then uh, the third one was Charlotte's, and it was about uh, the pathways that we walk, um, the people that have come before us to prepare those paths and the paths that we are called to prepare uh, in new ways and to walk um, with God. So, Having heard those three points, we uh, invite you to read this scripture again, see if anything else jumps out to you. And again, we would love to hear from you any questions or comments or stories from your week of faith discussion and reflection. You can email us, faith2go at edsd.org. You can contact us through our website, myfaith2go.org, or you can contact us through or follow us on Instagram at faith2go. Hannah, thanks again. Thank you. And, you know, I just want to reiterate that we really want to hear from you. Like, we want to hear responses. What do you think? Like, do you disagree? Wh why? What's that about? Send us an email. Yeah. Send us an yeah, email. Yeah, what Anna said. Yeah. And maybe you'll find yourself as a guest on the podcast. You never know. Um, maybe. But you have to be pretty high caliber. I'm just going to say. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> we have standards. Um, thanks, Hannah, for being here. 
And Thanks. Hannah will. Don't worry, everybody. Hannah's going to be back next week. Uh, we'll see you all next week for Advent 3. Until then, say goodbye. Goodbye, everybody. Bye, everybody. Bye, everybody. Bye, everybody.